Let's stand and pray again. Father, we thank you uh, for your word, and uh, we thank you that it is a, a lamp to our feet, a light unto our path. We thank you, Lord, that as we walk in your word, our path gets brighter and brighter as the noon sun. We pray, Lord, that um, your spirit would teach us today. We thank you, Lord, that um, as you said, it was expedient for you to leave, that he might come. So I pray that he would be our instructor today, give us ears to hear. I pray the same for the children as they study uh, your word in catechism class. We ask it in your name. Amen. Kids, you can be dismissed if you have class. Let's open our Bibles to the book of Mark. We're going to be in chapter 3 again. Book of Mark, chapter 3. Starting in verse 20, it says, Then the multitude came together again, so that they could not so much as eat bread. As we've seen in our study of Mark, Jesus was a rock star. That means everywhere he went, there were massive crowds. People were uh, pressing in on him so greatly that uh, they feared that he would be crushed. Um, so here we have an, another account where he is being thronged by people who uh, wanted to be healed. Verse 21, But when his own people heard about this, they went out to lay hold of him, for they said, He is out of his mind. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem said, He has Beelzebub, your version might say, say Beelzebul, and by the ruler of demons he casts out demons. And so he called them to himself and said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan has risen up against Satan and is divided, he cannot stand but has an end. No one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man, and then he will plunder his house. Assuredly, I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the sons of men, and whatever blasphemies they may utter. But he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is subject to eternal condemnation, or your version say, etern, may say, eternal sin. Because they said, he has an unclean spirit. This passage is a, a sobering example of human depravity. Those who do not understand the ways of God, and those who resist the light of God, are so blind, according to this text, that they see good, yet call it evil. And the text breaks down into three parts. First, the criticism and attack on Jesus. Secondly, his rebuttal to the criticism. And then finally, uh, a solemn warning. So first, let's look at the criticism of Jesus. Jesus, in this passage, was criticized by both his friends and his enemies. In verse 20, we see him criticized by his friends. Notice it says here, uh, Then the multitude came together again so that they could not so much as eat bread. But when his own people heard, they went out to lay hold on him, for they said he is out of his mind. So Jesus was even misunderstood by his friends, and they were willing to uh, criticize him openly. 
saying he's out of his mind, or your version may say he is mad. That's exactly what they're saying. They're saying Jesus was insane. Um, they did not understand that Jesus must be about his father's business, <clears throat> that the zeal of God's house was eating him up, that he delighted to do God's will, <clears throat> and that his food was to do the will of the Father and to finish his work. In other words, Jesus' friends did not understand selfless religion. They did not understand true love for one's neighbor. They did not understand utter devotion to God's will. And I wonder how many uh, Christians are like that today. You know, don't get too radical. Don't do anything dangerous. Don't start selling your goods and giving them away. Don't start traveling the globe. Don't start asking God for miracles. You know, on and on and on it goes. Yes, we love Jesus, but let's keep it all very tame. Let's keep it all very safe. Of course, this is nothing else but carnal Christianity and easy believism. What Bonhoeffer called cheap grace. It is lip service, but not life service. Jesus was also attacked by his enemies. In verse 22, the Pharisees, hearing his own friends criticize him, take the opportunity. Maybe Jesus now is at a weak point. Maybe his, his uh, popularity is waning. Maybe his own disciples and family are going to turn on him. Let's seize the moment. And then they begin to criticize him. Verse 22, and the scribes who came down from Jerusalem, said, He has Beelzebub, and by the ruler of demons, he cast out demons. The Pharisees accused Jesus of something far worse than being mad. <clears throat> they accused him of something even far worse than demon possession. Because what they were accusing Jesus of was possession by Satan himself, the ruler of demons. Could there be a greater slander against Jesus Christ than this? No. It was the height of hatred and it was the deepest depth of depravity. They were not merely calling his good deeds evil works. They were calling him the ultimate expression of evil. He who is holy and harmless... He who was meek and lowly, he who was laying his life out for the needs of others, he who was expressing mercy, he who was showing compassion on the ignorant, he who was feeding the hungry, he who was healing the sick, this one, according to the Pharisees, was Satan. How blind must they be? How hard must the human heart be? To see love incarnate and call it evil. To see holiness incarnate and strive to destroy it. Yet we see this similar spirit today as Christians are attacked in our culture. If you you try to rescue babies from bloodshed, then you're you're called an anti-choice bigot. You're against women. You're against freedom. If you preach sexual purity in our culture, you're called intolerant. You're called a homophobe. If you, if you defend the traditional family, the biblical family, then you're called a patriarchal oppressor. 
and on and on and on it goes. The lesson for us is that if we choose to follow Jesus Christ and walk in his footsteps, we also will be criticized and attacked. Martin Lloyd-Jones, a great preacher, said, If you try to imitate Christ, the world will praise you. But if you become like Christ, the world will hate you. And I believe that now, more than ever, we need to count the cost of discipleship. If we intend to follow Jesus truly and not just culturally, in this day, in this society, we must brace ourselves for increasing hostility from the world. A world which calls evil good and good evil. Jesus himself, when, when he called men and women to himself, warned them that they would be hated by the world for his sake. Look at Matthew chapter 10. Verse 16, Jesus says, Behold, I send you a sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to consuls and scourge you in their synagogues. You will be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you should speak For it will be given you in that hour what you should speak. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. Now brother will deliver up brother to death, and father his children, or excuse me, his child, and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. And you will be hated by all for my namesake. But he who endures to the end will be saved. Verse 24, a disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher and a servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they call those of his household? Therefore do not fear them, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be proven or known. Whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light, And what you hear in the ear, preach on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. But rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin, and not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will? But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore... You are of more value than many sparrows. Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I come or I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. 
He who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. Luke chapter 14, verse 25. Now great multitudes went with him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me, cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it? Lest, after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock, saying, This man began to build, was not able to finish. Or what king, going to make war against another king, does not sit down first and consider whether he is able, with ten thousand, to meet him who comes against him with twenty thousand? Or else, while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has, cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its flavor, how shall it be salted? It is neither fit for the land nor for the dunghill, but men throw it out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. John 15. John 15, verse 18. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If if you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would have no sin. But now they have seen and also hated both me and my father. But this happened that the word might be fulfilled, which is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. And you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. These things I have spoken to you, that you should not be made to stumble. They will put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God service. And these things they will do to you because they have not known the Father nor me. But these things I have told you that when the time comes, you may remember that I told you of them. And these things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. J.C. Ryle said, Let it not shake our faith if we have to drink the same cup as our blessed Lord. Hard as it may be 
to flesh and blood to be misunderstood by our relations, we must recollect that it is no new thing. Jesus knows the bitterness of our trials. Jesus feels for us and Jesus will give us help. Amen? Let us bear patiently the unreasonableness of unconverted men. Let us pity their blindness and not love them one whit less. Above all, let's pray that God would change their hearts. I believe the church in the West has experienced a season of great freedom and blessing. But I believe that season is increasingly coming to a close. I believe the, tur- the church is going to be sifted like it's never been sifted before. I mean the church in America. And I believe that Jesus has told us, he has warned us, he, in order to brace us for times such as these. And um, I think we will find out soon enough what we are all made of. If we are truly followers of Christ. I read an article this week of a, a young Christian girl in the Middle East who was captured by ISIS. And they told her to recant, to deny Jesus. She refused. So they buried her in the ground and left only her head exposed and then crushed her skull with rocks and killed her. And then her father was interviewed and he spoke about how proud he was of his daughter that she didn't deny the faith. And I wonder if that little 10-year-old girl is going to put some of us to shame as we begin to be sifted more and more. We are living in troubled times and increasingly men are calling evil good and good evil. And as this trend continues, we will see uh, not only traditional marriage under attack, we will see the truth in its most basic form distorted and silenced. And there will be increasing pressure on the church to not speak at all regarding the truth that we receive from God. But Jesus said repeatedly, fear not. Fear not. Why? Because he has given his church the Holy Spirit. And we have the means and we have the power to go through whatever tribulation or trial God may deem in his wisdom is appropriate for our time. We have the resources in the Holy Spirit, if we will, call upon him and abide in him. We are to fear not. I believe that now is the time for the church to speak up for Christ. Now is the time. In fact, I believe, my opinion, is that 
we are losing our liberties because we have been abusing our liberties. I was thinking, what if it became illegal to preach the gospel? I'm afraid that some of us would feel relieved. Well, I'm just obeying the law. Can't talk about Jesus. How many of us speak of Christ at work? How many of us speak of Christ at school? How many of us speak of Christ in our neighborhood? How many of us speak of Jesus attempting to bring our lost neighbors and co-workers to a saving knowledge of Christ? We have been silent. And that silence has been self-imposed. If you read books about the church in America and what can we do to revive the church in America? What new program can we start? And all this kind of stuff. People say, has God left America? They've been asking this for for a generation now. How come we see revivals in South America or in Korea or in China, but not in America? Well, my friends, there's a very simple principle. And it's this. If you don't preach the gospel, people won't get saved. Amen. It's very simple. The, the power of the gospel has not ceased. The gospel still saves. But it doesn't save if it stays in your head. It only saves when it comes out your mouth. Amen. And the church in America doesn't preach the gospel anymore. Christians don't evangelize anymore. And so people don't get saved, and then we blame it on God. It's not God's fault that we won't speak. It's our own cowardice. And my fear, and it's a personal opinion, my fear is that because we don't want to speak, God will guarantee that we can't speak. And that will be the chastening for our disobedience to the Great Commission. We still have some freedom. But we are less free today than we were two weeks ago. We're less free today than we were a generation ago. And we are far less free today than we were when our country was founded. The trend is against us. Do you understand? The spirit of the age is against us. So we best, as Paul says, buy up the opportunities. Redeem the time. Because while we have a window, while you can speak at work about Jesus, while you can speak at your school about Jesus, now is the time to speak. Fear not what men may do to you, Jesus said. Because they do not determine your eternal destiny. Only Christ does. Fear not, he says, because you're more valued than the sparrows, which God is watching and permits to fall to the ground. Christians around the world are dying for their faith like that 10-year-old girl. And some of us are afraid that someone might send a tweet criticizing us. It's really come to that in the American church. 
anything but bad press. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day that we must decide if we're going to stand for Jesus. Today is the day that we must begin to be about the Father's work. Today is the day that we must begin to feed on His will as Jesus did. Because we're going to be sifted. Stand while you can stand. And speak while you can speak. Lastly, in Mark, Jesus refutes the attack, the criticism, and the attack of his enemies. In verse 23, so he called them to himself and said to his, excuse me, and said in parables, how can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan has risen up against Satan and is divided, he cannot stand, but has an end. Jesus is stating a simple and obvious truism. Nothing new here. The point is, why would Satan cast out Satan? And the obvious answer is, he wouldn't. In other words, their argument, because it is so obviously absurd, reveals the obstinacy of their heart. In other words, they are so desperate to find some means of criticizing Jesus that they, they graft at, a, at a, a, a foolish, foolish argument. You see, when people are in rebellion against God, they will never lack an objection or an argument, regardless of how clear the truth is. What could have been more clear than that Jesus was sent of God to do good. The evidence was all about them. The the feeding the hungry, the healing of the sick, the, the, the delivering of those who had been possessed by demons. The evidence was undeniable. As a matter of fact, they couldn't deny it, and they weren't denying it, so they had to come up with some some explanation because they saw that the miracles were real. Well, let's say it's really the devil. And since when is the devil in the business of feeding the hungry clothing the naked, healing the sick, and delivering people from demons. He isn't. But it shows how desperate they were, which shows how hard their hearts were. And of course, the lesson is that for some people, no amount of light will brighten their darkness. For Jesus himself said that men loved darkness more than light, Because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest their deeds be exposed. You see, the human problem is not a problem of the head. It's a problem of the heart. And the intellectual arguments and the objections, and and the rebuttals, and, and the philosophies designed to deny the reality of Christ are merely intellectual constructs which flow out of a heart that hates the light. Finally, Jesus gives a solemn warning. 
In verse 28, he says, Assuredly, I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the sons of men and whatever blasphemies they may utter. But he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is subject to eternal sin or eternal judgment. Because they said he has an unclean spirit. Perhaps the the, uh, best description of the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is by Alexander McLaren. So I'd like to read this passage to you quickly out of his commentary. He says, Blasphemy is in form injurious speaking. And in essence, it is scorn or malignant antagonism. The Holy Spirit is the divine agent in revealing God's heart and will. To blaspheme Him is the external symptom of a heart so radically and finally set against God that no power which God can consistently use will ever save it. The sin, therefore, can only be the culmination of a long course of self-hardening and depraving. It is unforgivable because the soul which can recognize God's revelation of himself in all his goodness and moral perfection and be stirred only to hatred thereby, has reached a dreadful climax of hardness and has ceased to be capable of being influenced by his beseeching. It has passed beyond the possibility of penitence and acceptance of forgiveness. The sin is unforgiven because the sinner is fixed in impenitence and a stiffened will cannot bow to receive pardon. The true reason why sin has never forgiveness is suggested by the accurate rendering, quote, is guilty of an eternal sin. Since the sin is eternal, the forgiveness is impossible. On a practical level, hardened and uh, permanent unbelief conjoined with malicious hatred of the only means of forgiveness is the unforgivable sin. It's a dreadful picture, amen? But I've seen it with my own eyes. I saw it when my father was in the hospital about to die. And I came and and spoke to him of Christ. And he said to me with scorn and contempt, I've lived as an atheist and I will die as an atheist. And he did. The thing that's so frightening about unbelief and resistance to the light, is that men fool themselves. When I say men, I mean men, women, children, teenagers. They think that they can believe when they decide it's convenient to believe. I'll believe that later. Yeah, there's probably something about this God stuff, but I'm going to wait till I'm older and maybe when I have kids I'll settle down and I'll, I'll take this Jesus thing serious. But in the meantime, I'm going to have fun. In the meantime, I'm going to live according to my will. But you see, the problem is, is that as we receive light from the Holy Spirit, as we receive light from the Word of God, that light is doing something to our heart. You will be a different person by the time you leave church today than you were when you came in. 
But the difference will be based upon what you did with the Spirit and the Word today. And your heart will either be softer or your heart will be harder, but your heart will not be the same. That's the dreadful thing, you see. Because we think that we can postpone repentance when in fact what we see in Scripture is that when men consistently resist the Holy Spirit, their heart gets hardened and their conscience gets seared. And as this process takes place, even though the Holy Spirit may be pleading, they can no longer feel Him, they can no longer hear Him. And I believe at some point, he even ceases to convict. And as I said the other night in our study, the worst form of judgment that God could ever place upon a people is to give them their own way. And although I I believe that a true Christian cannot commit this sin, a true Christian, I believe that a professing Christian can. Because I think many Christians are not Christians. And I know that will sound judgmental. I've been around the church way too long. I've seen too many Christians get saved to know better. Professing Christ and knowing Christ are not the same thing. Professing Christ and being born again are not the same thing. And there are some, especially those who grow up in the church, who hear the word of God from their, from their mother's womb, who have the benefits of much light through church and through their home. These can become the most hardened and the most difficult to reach with the gospel. You know why? Because they already know it. I know that. I know that. I know that. In fact, they know nothing at all. Because they've never learned the first principle of godliness, which is this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. To tremble at his word is the beginning of wisdom. I exhort you not to trifle with the light that God has given you. Not to trifle with His Word. Not to trifle with His Holy Spirit. Lest you become hardened in your sin. And there's no remedy for you. And Jesus concludes with a solemn warning that whoever commits this sin will never have forgiveness, but is subject to eternal sin or eternal judgment. Clearly, as in so many other things, so on this topic of eternal judgment, men are calling good evil and evil good. And men, especially even even men who claim to be followers of Jesus, are rejecting his teaching. Jesus Christ spoke more about eternal judgment than anyone else in the scripture. C.S. Lewis said this. He says, uh, 
I spoke just now, he's referring to something he said earlier in this essay, he says, I spoke just now of fiddling while Rome burns, but to a Christian, the true tragedy of Nero must be not that he fiddled while the city was on fire, but that he fiddled on the brink of hell. You must forgive me for the crude monosyllable, hell. I know that many wiser and better Christians than I these days, now he's talking in the 50s, do not like to mention heaven and hell even in a pulpit. I know too that nearly all the references to this subject in the New Testament come from a single source. But then that source is our Lord himself. People will tell you it is St. Paul, but that is simply untrue. These teachings about hell, he says, are not really removable from the teaching of Christ or of his church. If we do not believe them, our presence in his church is great tomfoolery. And if we do, we must sometimes overcome our spiritual prudery and mention them. Amen? Lastly, Jesus ends with the word of hope. Because in, in the midst of this solemn warning of hardening oneself to the point of eternal judgment, Jesus does say this in verse 28. All sins will be forgiven to the sons of men. And then he accepts only one. Because that sin includes the sin of unbelief. And that's the only sin that cannot be forgiven because unbelief excludes us from the forgiveness of all the other sins. So Jesus is saying, no matter what anybody has done, no matter how depraved their life may be, those sins can be forgiven. But they must believe. They must not resist the Holy Spirit's calling and pleading and beseeching and drawing and convicting. Because the forgiveness of all sins is only experienced through faith in Jesus Christ. All may be forgiven if you believe. Nothing will be forgiven if you do not believe. Let's stand and pray. Heads bowed, please. Eyes closed. Jesus said, when talking about this awful sin, He said to the Pharisees, the kingdom of God is in your midst. In other words, because he was the king, the kingdom was there. It was right in front of them. It was literally in their midst. They were so close, yet they were so far away. You must be born again, Jesus said, to enter the kingdom of God. That is a work of the Holy Spirit. And he will do that for you. 
if you do not resist him. Jesus Christ died for you. That's how much he loves you. And I believe one of the things that impelled him, compelled him to that great suffering is that he saw what was on the other side. He knew what awaited those who died in their sins. And he didn't and doesn't want anyone to go to hell. He has made a way for you. And he's drawing you right now. No matter what you have done, no matter how much shame you have, the blood of Christ is sufficient for you. His blood is sufficient to wash away all of your sin and shame. A simple prayer, Jesus, save me from my sin. Jesus, I know I've sinned. Lord, save me. I'm a sinner. He will hear that cry. Lord, I pray for any here that don't know you, that even this very moment, that they might be born again of your spirit. And I pray for your church, Lord, all of us that have known you for years. I pray that we would not resist your spirit, grieve your spirit, quench your spirit, but allow your spirit, Lord, to make our hearts like you. Thank you, Lord, that you have called us out of darkness into light. Pray this in your name. Amen.